This podcast episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley's Organic Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Now, we all know that many olive oils are cut with seed oils or that they are rancid, and so it's not always easiest to find a quality and properly sourced olive oil. Yes, in case you didn't know, many store bought olive oils are diluted or blended, compromising both taste and quality, and may even cause rancidity. I'm really glad that Paleo Valley's extra virgin olive oil remains pure and unadulterated, sourced from a single organic valley in Greece. Paleo Valley ensures freshness and nutrient content by packaging their olive oil in dark glass bottles. At a certain point, I stopped using extra virgin olive oil, but once our practice started working with people with chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS, we started recommending it for the reduction of TGF beta 1. It is an immune system marker that shows inflammation both for COVID 19, SIRS, and actually many other illnesses. So if your TGF beta 1 is high, you may want to try incorporating a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. Make sure to check it out. It comes in a two pack package. And remember, All Paleo Valley products are guaranteed with a money back guarantee. Go to paleovalley.com slash nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks for supporting companies that support this podcast. Hey guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Judy Cho, and I am board certified in holistic nutrition. I focus on using the carnivore cure elimination diet for root cause healing, and oftentimes that starts with gut healing. Okay, so today I'm excited. I have been trying to meet with Dr. Baker for such a long time, and it's been a long time coming. And so finally, we had the chance to sit down. And just talk a little bit about the carnivore community, some of the studies that have been going on in 2021, and just a lot of exciting things that are going on in the community and its future trajectory. If you don't know Dr. Sean Baker, he is one of the main people, I'd say, that really brought carnivore to the forefront into the public space. You know, he was able to try it about five years ago and really adopted it and has brought a lot of people healing through this way of eating. But if you don't know Dr. Sean Baker, he had his own healing journey. He was an orthopedic surgeon and he's still licensed, but he chooses to help people in getting their health back with a meat based diet. If you are partaking in World Carnivore Month right now, this is Dr. Sean Baker's baby. We talk a little bit about how it got started and why he's even doing it. Okay, let's get right into the interview. Hi, Dr. Baker. I'm finally excited to sit down and chat with you. It's been a long time coming.、Um, obviously, most people that watch this and listen to this already know who you are, but you can just introduce yourself. Sure.、Uh, my name is Sean Baker. I am a soon to be 55 year old dude that has been、uh, on a carnivore diet for about five years.、Um, I, my background is in orthopedic surgery. You know, I've got a pretty extensive、uh, background in, in high level athletic competition as well. I'm a dad to four kiddos.、Um, I you know, wrote the book, The Carnivore Diet.、Uh, you know, I guess it's been a little over two years now. And、uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the co founder of a company called Rivero, which、uh, we are basically using meat based diets and, and with, with some variation on that to reverse you know, and, and correct metabolic, inflammatory, autoimmune, and all kinds of diseases. And so that is you know, kind of in the focus. I've also you know, got.、Uh, 
uh, you know, I guess a fairly large presence on social media. It's kind of growing. And, and, and so that's, you know, that's what mostly what I do. But anyway, that's me. Yes. Um, and, you know, I wanted to talk to you about two studies. You know, I know one, you're working on one behind the scenes. It just wanted to get an update on that. But also, you know, the that Harvard questionnaire study, I know that the World Carnivore Tribe on the Facebook groups was um, really promoted that and and just try to get the word out so that people would share their results. And we've seen so many improvements. It was really, really remarkable where almost everyone said that they saw changes in their diabetic states, their medications. You know, what do you think this means for the future of a carnivore meat-based diet and healing? And where do you see um, things going next? Well, I mean, it's it's not going away. I don't. I think it's pretty clear that it's effective, and people are finding that out. And you know, it, you know, it may not be effective for every single person, but there certainly is a significant number of people that have been positively affected by it. So I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. Um, I think that uh, it is sort of casting some some. Uh, you know, perhaps some people are confused by it, you know, because, you know, it's very easy when all the messages just don't eat meat, need a bunch of fruits and vegetables. And that's what we've heard for the last 50 years. And so this is sort of sort of maybe questioning that that sort of dogma. Um, I think there's going to be more studies done. I mean, there's been three, in, in case you're not aware, there's been three studies done in 2021 on the carnivore diet that have been all published, or at least all published in 2021. The first study was done in Switzerland. It was a small case series of six people with SIBO. And 100% of those people, you know, basically, uh, eliminated their, you know, symptoms of their SIBO. Uh, then there was a study, the Harvard study with 2000 people that came out, uh, this month. And then, and then shortly after that study that, uh, Cleo Protegero, uh, out of UC Merced, uh, with backup from Frederick Lois and, and a couple other authors published, um, just recently, that was like 170 people. And again, all, all of the results thus far, I mean, there's not a lot of studies on the carnivore diet or meat-based diet or zero-carb diets. There's just not. But every single one of the studies that's out there shows good results. So in my view, that should be the default position. It's like, well, the only studies we have show it's good. So therefore, unless you can prove it's bad with another study or a better study or a longer study or multiple studies, then you know, the default position should be it's 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 healthy because we, you know, all the studies that say meat is bad are not carnivore diets. As you know, they're right. standard American junk food diet studies, which are, you know, basically it's kind of irrelevant when it comes to what we're doing with our diet. I mean, you and I are both very concerned about our health and we want to, we, we do all these things to support health and, uh, you know, we happen to include meat in the diet. So I think it's, I think it's going to continue to, as you alluded to, yes, we are, uh, in the process of doing a major fundraising thing for our company. And part of that will be to do a, what's going to likely end up being a multi-million dollar study on, 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 on carnivore diets and, you know, having big control groups and, you know, and among other other things. So that's going to be happening. It's going to, it's going to take us a little bit of while to, to finish raising the money for that. Uh, but we're, I think it's going to happen fairly shortly. And then, and then, you know, contracting the people to do the study for us. And so, and, and others will come out. I mean, I know, I know there's, I know there's many other authors that have contacted me that say, Hey, they'd like to do a study. They're interested in study. I think, you know, is it with, with each subsequent study, it empowers more and more people to look at this further. And, you know, we can see that, you know, like I said, I think, you know, for instance, uh, you know, inflammatory bowel disease, my gosh, I don't think there's a better treatment out there than what we do with the carnivore diet uh, or some version of that. And uh, I mean, that, I mean, that deserves study. I mean, my gosh, I mean, there's, I think there's something like three or 4 million people in the U S alone suffering from IBD. Right. And I mean, the, the treatments right now are, I mean, they're very expensive and, and often they're, they're 
you know, sometimes are effective, but they're often they're often short term. Most people with, for instance, Crohn's disease, about 60 percent, 40 to 60 percent of the people with Crohn's disease end up with some form of bowel resection, which is I mean, that's pretty, pretty rough. And you see how many people and it seems like that. It, it seems like the instance of those diseases going up. I mean, I can't believe how many people I run into that have Crohn's or also colitis now or 10 years ago. I don't know that I knew anyone, but now I seem to know all these people. Maybe it's because of the space I occupy now, but I, I mean, literally I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to jujitsu class after this and there are two guys in my class that have Crohn's disease, you know, and it's wow. just random. So anyway. And have you recommended the carnivore diet to them? I have. Yeah. One guy, one guy, cause I was gone for a month. Cause I, you know, essentially I got COVID. I took two weeks off the, off jujitsu. I didn't want to, you know, expose anybody. And then I went down to Florida for vacation afterwards. And so I came back and one, and the one guy who has Crohn's disease, he, he's down 20 pounds. He says my digestion is the best it's ever been in my life. And so it's like, you know, in, in, in the short order, he went on, you know, basically ground beef and eggs. And, and he's like, you know, cause he's not, he doesn't have a lot of resources, but he's like, lean he says it's the best i felt in probably a decade so so yes i have recommended it i focus on a carnivore diet especially for gut healing and so i see all sorts of SIBO, ulcerative colitis crohn's and you're right i mean a lot of people can benefit tremendously with a carnivore diet and sometimes they may need some supplements or herbals or whatnot but in general it is the best diet to be on in in terms of that level of healing so i fully agree with you there if people wanted to support your trial, uh, where can they, um, I guess, donate and go about doing that? We do have a GoFundMe, a GoFundMe uh, account that we open it, and we've raised a couple hundred thousand dollars on that, and that's still open. We're still doing that, and we're still very intent on doing a large clinical trial. Um, but what we're going to be doing in the first part of this year, and in fact, we're starting now, is we're doing, uh, you know, we're, we're scaling our company, okay. and we're going to be we're going to be raising you know, many millions of dollars, uh, of which we've already got some committed. But part of that, we're, we're opening it up to the public. So we're going to put a portion of that. We're, we're going to allow this, uh, some of the public to invest in us. Um, and, and that investment will go to clinical trial as well as other things that we're going to do. And the nice thing about that is, you know, you get you get equity in the company. And so if the company expands and, and grows like we expect it to do, then it becomes an investment rather than just a straight donation. So some people might find that more. I mean, you can still go to the GoFundMe and donate if you just want to do that donation. But if you're interested in maybe, you know, maybe using it as an investment vehicle, uh, this is venture capital. And so it's something that, you know, there's there's inherent risk in that, but the risk, it's kind of a high risk, high reward type of thing. And so uh, we've been, uh, you know, doing a lot of stuff with, uh, uh, some of the, some of the, people, the venture capital folks in, in Silicon Valley, and then we've got this company called Republic, which is a crowd equity comp platform. And so it's only been legal for about five years since 2020, 2016. Prior to this, you had to be an accredited investor. You had to have a net worth of a million dollars or more, and some other things hoops you had to jump through. So only only certain people could invest, you know, in these high rate of return companies. And now that's been open to the public. And so we're doing that because, you know, so much of what we're doing is grassroots. I mean, it's like a lot of people have been sort of jaded by the medical system. They're like, man, I've had whatever, you know, gut disease for 10 years. And my doctor keeps giving me a proton pump inhibitor or, or, you know, sticks a scope in me and telling me nothing wrong with me or, or whatever. Well, you know, the deal and they they get bounced around, they put on six or seven different meds they never get better. And it's not until you kind of like, Hey, why, 
you know, the solution is, isn't a pro isn't, isn't a protonics deficiency. You know, that's not, the, that's not your, that's not your problem here. There's something going on underlying until you address that stuff. And then you make people go away. And, you know, and sometimes people, many people never find that, you know, they just kind of go on that drug cycle and they stay there forever. And, you know, only a small percentage of them actually do. And we want to, we want to reach, you know, more and more of those people. And so that's why we're, you know, aggressively going to be scaling this up and, you know, just kind of trying to work with payers and insurance companies and to have them prescribe what we do. And, and that's, uh, that's the deal. But so if you want to help, you know, forward that and, you know, that's clinical trials, part of that, obviously we need to do it, conduct a rigorous clinical trial to demonstrate efficacy, which I have no doubt we will. Uh, But, but if you want to, you know, make that vision happen, that's the way to do it. And so we'll announce that on social media in, in the, in the coming weeks, um, and you'll see the, you know, all the different terms and stuff like that if you're interested. So, okay. And I'll put all the information in the show notes as well, so that if people have healed on a carnivore or meat-based diet and they want others to know about it, we need to get studies out there that can tell our doctors, actually, here's a study, um, shifting a little bit, uh, in topics, um, you know, it's world carnivore month. Um, I know that's your baby and you and the Petersons were really, I guess the leaders in getting carnivore out into the public and just making more people know about it and such a simple diet to get people healing. And so first of all, thank you for that. But we're, you know, like what year are we in World Carnivore Month and what made you decide to do it? And this is is the fourth year. So this is the fourth year of doing this, the fifth year I've been doing carnivore. So we started now in in, uh, 20, uh, I guess, 2018, January 2018. Um, the reason it went in January was because there was something called Veganuary. And as, as I mentioned earlier, my birthday's in January. And I was like, that sucks. I'm going to make it World Carnivore Month. Just, it was almost kind of like a, you know, a, a, just, a, just a kind of a, a reaction to say, hey, you knucklehead vegans, let's, let's just make it Carnivore Month. And so that's where we started in January. Um, you know, I, it's a 30 day, you know, well, January's got 31 days. I guess it should be technically accurate. It's a, it's a short, brief challenge if you will many people are up for that particularly right after the holidays you know most of most people are in there gorging and treating their body like a trash can for for three months you know starting on halloween and, and then there's this you know non-stop gorge fest this year may be a little different because the covid stuff is kind of dampened some of the holiday parties i suppose but still i think most people uh although most people with this covid stuff have gained weight and gotten significantly unhealthy essentially but but January, you know, you know, it's traditionally people just do their New Year's resolution. Almost there are so many people. I would I would bet that January first is the number one day that people start new diets. I mean, I'm just guessing. And so we 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 said, well, if you're going to do one, why don't you do this one? And uh, you know, every year we subsequently had more and more. I think the first year we had you know like two thousand people doing it. And then it was like six or seven. And then last year it was you know at least ten to fifteen thousand, maybe twenty thousand. And so. As you know, it's 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 gotten into the popular vernacular. The carnivore diet is not some obscure thing no one's heard of not right now. If you go on social media, I mean, there's people that have never even heard of me that I've never heard of that are, that are talking about carnival, which I think is great. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's kind of like, okay, cool. Let's get the message is getting out there. And people are like, I'm just going to do carnivore for, you know, like these people just, just nonchalantly say, I'm going to do carnivore for, for a month just to kind of reset things. And, you know, people say, okay, that's cool. And, and it's less weird now. I mean, yeah. you know, for some people, it's crazy, but I think it's becoming accepted as at least as an intervention tool, a short-term intervention tool. And, you know, people debate about the uh, viability of it long-term. I think that's something that, you know, I mean, I, I've seen so many people who have done it for a long-term. I've done a long-term. I don't have a, I don't have too many doubts about that, but I mean, it's still 
probably worth investigating and debating. Although, you know, the studies to do a long-term study, you know, somebody saying, well, you, do you have like a date on 50 years? I'm like, there's no diet that has that. I mean, I know. you know, the bar they want to hold you to is like, there's never been a randomized control trial done over a lifetime, you know, that controls for all these factors. So you can't really even, you know, it's like, well, I'm not going to do a carnivore diet until there's 50 years of data. I'm like, well, then fine, I'll do it. No, I don't care. <laughs> Most nutritional studies, except for maybe in the 20s and 30s, a lot of the diets now are just based on questionnaires, observations, because it's considered unethical, you know, to give, for example, a pregnant woman uh, a cigarette, right? But it's not true, like you're saying, these trials that show for long term. And I, you said, I don't think there are many studies that show long term people have been following a diet in a clinic. It's unfortunate if people want to just try it, they can always just go back um, to however they're eating and however they're feeling. And it's an opportunity for people to heal. But yes, I get that all the time is I want the studies. But um, I think that's why this Harvard study and the other two studies you mentioned are so important. And then the work that you're doing is also really big to just normalize this way of eating because it's actually a very healing diet. I wanted to ask you, I I know one thing I love about you is that you're just very real. You're very honest and there's not a lot of frills about you in that way. So good or bad. And so, you know, as carnivore is getting more popular, there's a lot of discussion about safety of long-term carnivore. And like one thing that's come up in this space a lot is, Hey, you need carbohydrates for thyroid health. Um, You know, I just wanted to ask you, like, what are your thoughts about that? Hey guys, just to let you know, my Carnivore Cure book is back in stock. For nine months, it was out of print and used prices were up to $300. Make sure to get your copy today that has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on Amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful. If you look, there's a nice article that Stephen Finney wrote, you know, regarding, and you may have seen that on on uh, carbohydrate, low carb, low carb diets, and thyroid function. And so, oh, right. there seems to be there seems to be a, uh, uh, you know, like we we talk about insulin sensitivity and how good that is, and, and and what's great about insulin sensitivity is we use less insulin. You know, it's like well, we get more bang for the buck. We're not we're not exposed to that. I mean, but but in truth, all of our hormone receptors and, and thyroid thyroid is a hormone hormone and a hormone receptor. All of them can be upregulated and downregulated. And so, if, if the, the, the the receptor is very sensitive, then you need less of the less of the uh, less of the hormone. And we know that you know we see often we'll see particularly like T three, you know, one of the forms of, of you know thyroid, uh, the active form, uh, is all often downregulated in low carb diets. And some people look at that and say, oh my God, I need thyroid, you know, or I need to put carbs back in my diet to raise that T3 up into what's considered a more normal physiologic range. But they forget to just even ask the basic question, are you symptomatic? Is there, I mean, do you, you can't be diagnosed with hypothyroidism without, without symptoms. I mean, I mean, I guess you could say you have asymptomatic hypothyroidism and therefore you need this drug to make your number go up. But I mean, that's, that's pretty nonsensical. I mean, it's not even common sense. So I think there's some of that. I mean, I think there's, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people that will, uh, you know, they like carbohydrates and I mean, they taste good for many people. I mean, I, you know, I mean, you know, fruit and sweets and candy taste good. And people just want to find uh, a justification to do that in a lot of cases. And they're just like, and, and, you know, like I said, if it's fine, I mean, I, I don't really, um, 
you know, absent of real clinical symptoms. And I mean, I think that there, there are probably some people, I mean, sure, there, there, there's people out there that are truly suffering from hypothyroidism and they've gotten their sluggish and they've got the temperature, you know, they're cold all the time. They're, you know, they're, they just can't lose weight. And so there's, there's some clinical things going on, but I don't know that that's necessarily due to lack of carbohydrates. I mean, I think, you know, it may be, you know, I, I think it's just, I think it's just part of that giant, uh, uh, um, condition that is metabolic syndrome or insulin resistance, or, I mean, this whole inflammatory process, I think the thyroid, thyroid receptor sensitivity, uh, thyroid efficacy is all, all impacted by that. And so I think a lot of these people come from um, a background of, you know, decades of abusing their body. I mean, not, not intensely, but I mean, that's effectively what's going on. And so yeah. now you've got, it's like yeah. what I see with gout. I mean, I hear people talking about, oh my God, I don't want to eat meat because I'm going to get gout. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I just, I just say, well, look, what is what's going on with gout? Yeah, we know uric acid is often elevated and crystallizes and it causes symptoms, but it's much more nuanced and complicated than that. I mean, it's, there's an immune component. There's a, uh, you know, an inflammatory component. There's a, a temperature component. I mean, that's what happens in the big toe because your, temp, your toes are cold. I mean, so there's so many things outside of that. And so I, I just, um, I mean, I, I guess I've seen so many just counterexamples of people thriving with regard to thyroid function without carbohydrates to say that you can't survive very long without, without carbs or your thyroid is going to shut down. I mean, again, you know, we can certainly go into human evolution and human history and demonstrate populations that clearly don't have access to really any carbs, maybe a tiny amount, and they weren't suffering from hypothyroidism. So I think it's just a, you know, I, I don't know if that, I don't think that argument particularly holds water with me personally. Yeah, I I mean, I tend to see it in um, a lot of women that are, and maybe some males as well, but a lot of them are under eating, maybe they're over exercising, they're not eating enough fat, sometimes those can be the reason sometimes it's, um, they had subclinical hypothyroid before carnivore. And I mean, I always bring up my example, my T3 um, dropped on a carnivore diet as well. But I nursed my son for five years. Uh, Menses was consistent. There was no symptom whatsoever that I was hypothyroid. But, you know, there were some advocates that said I should admit that I'm hypothyroid because my teeth, that one marker was kind of low. And it's just the other thing is to te- yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to comment. I mean, you know, you can't just look at a set of labs and, and make an assumption about something. You need clinical context. That's why physicians see patients and examine them and talk to them and get a history and physical. I mean, a lot of labs are, are an adjunct to that decision making, but it's not the the sole criteria by which you make a diagnosis. So I just, when people say, well, your lab was this, therefore that I'm like, well, you need to understand more. So anyway. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of you working with individuals and actually coaching and stuff, because you see these little nuances and it's a wonderful elimination diet, but it's not the end all answer for everyone to be completely healed of everything. And I think it's just working with people that you'll get to see that. Um, the other marker that keeps coming up now is also your testosterone. So I brought up a post uh, not too long ago about how uh, testosterone can actually be fine as long as you're eating sufficient fat. And and then someone brought you up and said, well, Sean Baker's testosterone has dropped and he showed it in his blood work. And, and so there's this little bit of fear showing in the space where Hey, if you do carnivore diet long-term, your testosterone will drop. Um, what are your thoughts of, should people be concerned about testosterone on a carnivore diet? Well, I mean, you know, clearly it makes you weak if it does, right. You know, like, you know, I'm in here about to deadlift 500 pounds for 10 reps, you know, in a couple of days. So, 
Um, what I will say is, you know, when I when I had that lab taken, I shared that on Rob Bull's show back in, I don't know, what, year, what was it, 2018 or something like that, maybe 2017, 2018, I guess. Um, I've had subsequent testosterone levels run, and they were much higher. So then I could okay. say, well, it made my testosterone go up. I mean, because it was doubled the last time I checked it from, from then. So you can make that argument. I mean, it's a silly argument. Testosterone is so variable. Right. It, it, depending on the hour of the day you took it, you can have massively different readings. You know, if you take it at 5 a.m. when it's at its peak, it might be double what it is at, you know, 5 p.m. Right. So that's one thing. <clears throat> the other thing is we know that, you know, intense exercise can in the short term, drop your, right. your testosterone. You know, in, in the time that I had it, I, I worked out like a maniac. I was breaking world records. I was training extremely hard. There's some of that. There's also, and, and I've made this point before, you know, if you look at Stu Phillips' study in 20, I want to say 2018, they looked at testosterone levels, you know, free testosterone, total testosterone, and a couple other hormones <clears throat> as it relates to um, muscle protein synthesis in young athletic males. And what they found was it did not matter what the testosterone had no correlation whatsoever. What did matter was the androgen receptor density or the androgen receptor sensitivity. And so the, again, it's the same thing. You have insulin sensitivity, you have sensitive insulin, insulin, it's sensitive receptors. You have androgen receptors can, that can up and down regulate their sensitivity. And so things like carnitine seem to do that. Weightlifting certainly does. Right. Um, uh, also, a period of fasting seems to do that as well. Um, uh, you know, and I'm not talking about 36, 40, you know, 48 hour fast, but just like longer in the day. So, I mean, again, what are, what are you looking at for, you know, I'm, I'm, when I'm looking at myself, I mean, like, I have zero signs of testosterone deficiency. Everything works, you know, physiologically like it's supposed to. I'm strong. I'm lean. You know, compared to most 55 years old, I'm, I'm you know, in, in great the top shape. 1%. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not concerned about that. Now, what have I seen on carnivore? I've seen, by and large, clinical manifestations of testosterone function generally improving for most people. That includes women, too. You know, women are subject to testosterone. So what does that look like? Better body composition, you know, better cognition, uh, better uh, libido, sexual function. All that seems to get better for most people. Now, there are, there is a few, there are a few people, and they tend to be in the minority, that we'll see a downturn in those, in those symptoms or, or those signs. And uh, sometimes they're, they're doing what you talked about. They're not eating enough. They're over-exercising that can occur. And that does occur. But I think in general, most people are going to see an improvement in the clinical manifestations of, of, of the, of the sex hormones. Now the number may go up or down to me, that's of less relevance, you know, because I know that, you know, if your testosterone is 400 versus 800, it may not be, it may be clinically completely meaningless. And then we, we talk about, you know, supplementing that stuff. And then you, you know, you get into concerns about it. You know, there, there's some concerns about prostate enlargement due to, you know, elevated levels of prostate, uh, of uh, testosterone, perhaps, you know, with, with exogenous, uh, you know, uh, supplementation, things like that. So again, um, you know, if you, if you want to use me as an example, my testosterone has doubled in the last five years. So there, <laughs> it makes it go I didn't, but I, I didn't, this right now. I didn't realize that the markers they're talking about was from three years ago. I thought it was something that was recently shared. And then I didn't know the backstory. So I was like, oh, I'll just talk to Dr. Baker when I have him on. And you mimic a lot of the things that Dr. Eric Westman says. Um, when I asked him about testosterone and other blood markers, he is just at a point where he says, I treat more of the symptoms. I'm not as worried about the markers because we just don't know on a ketogenic long-term diet of 
what is normal and what is not. And so he is not as focused on these because I asked him specifically about testosterone. He goes, I don't even measure that kind of stuff unless there's a reason to do that. But in general, people are losing weight and, you know, he works in an obese hospital. So for him, he sees a lot of healing. So and I think I'm sure, you know, I think Eric will probably concur with this. I mean, much of the testosterone deficiency syndromes that we see in males these days is basically just metabolic disease. I mean, it's just, it's just another manifestation of being too damn fat and being insulin resistant and, you know, you just see everything doesn't work right when you're, when you're in that situation. So, I mean, and, and the symptoms can be very nonspecific, you know, you right. say, well, I'm tired and fatigued all the time. Well, that certainly could be pre-diabetes, yeah. uh, but, but, you know, you might just say, well, you know, testosterone, let's, let's throw you on some testosterone. But, uh, you know, when I saw those patients, I mean, generally, if they are, if they're not making significant lifestyle changes, it doesn't make a difference. I mean, yeah, their testosterone is a little higher, but they're still symptomatic. I mean, they're not really improving or they might sort of, yeah, maybe I'm 10% better type of stuff. But most, for the most part, um, I think it's, you know, a, it's just a band aid that doesn't really address the issue. Yeah, I I fully agree. I mean, I run a lot of blood work on my clients and uh, their testosterone usually improves. So I don't see that in my practice. But shifting a little bit, uh, you know, there's a lot of people in the carnivore space that have now included fruits, honey, sugar, um, some people even white, uh, pure sugar. And there's this thought in the space where it is not sugar that is causing insulin resistance. So carbs are not the, the enemy. Um, why do you think this movement has become more popular? And do you agree that, you know, we need carbs per se? What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, when you say we, I'd say, who's we? I mean, you know, like I said, some people may feel better with that. So that's fine. I mean, you know, like I said, I'm not one to say, don't do this or that. I mean, you know, if it works for you, if it works for you. But I mean, I think, you know, just because sugar tastes good doesn't mean it's always going to be the greatest thing in the world. And I think, you know, if you look, you talk to guys like Ben Bickman, who I have a lot of respect for with regard to, you know, that he, I mean, his whole entire reason for being is to do research on insulin resistance and metabolic disease. And I mean, if you talk to him, he'll say absolutely 100%, you know, carbohydrate has a role in insulin resistance and sugar certainly is part of that. Now, it's not the only thing that's going on. It's, you know, there's chronic inflammation and there's other things that are going on in there. If you talk to the vegans, it's all about saturated fat, as you, you probably know. And that's, again, the the data that they use to do that is, you know, they'll look at palmitic acid in the blood and say, see, it's tied to, uh, you know, problems with uh uh, insulin receptor sensitivity. The problem is, where's that pulmonic acid coming from? It's not coming from dietary sources, coming from the liver, which is taking excess carbon atoms, you know, whether it comes from fructose or, or sometimes fats, and then converting that into that. But, you know, it's not just a straight up uh, eat saturated fat, saturated fat appears in your blood. In fact, Jeff Volek has got a nice study from 2013 that basically shows the opposite. You know, as fat, saturated fat doubles in the diet, blood concentration don't even change. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like I said, I know there's people are saying it's all about linoleic acid. It's all, you know, it's, that's everything, you know, because the Egyptians got fat and heart disease, but it's not because they were eating grain and wheat and stuff. It was because of, you know, this or that. And, and, you know, they're, they're saying that, uh, sugar had no impact on, on, on this stuff. And I, 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 I don't see it. I think, I think both of these things probably have a role, you know, and I think it's one of those things that's more nuanced and more complicated. And, you know, if, if uh, you know, you put somebody on a diet that is mostly sugar, you're going to have problems. I mean, I think that's pretty clear, you know, and I think there's, there's, you know, 
I mean, it, it, there's there's plenty of data that shows that there's problems. You know, I mean, look at Robert Lustig's work. I know some people criticize that, but there's a number of people that, that, that have looked into some of the problems with fructose and uh, with sucrose and high fructose corn syrup and, you know, refined carbohydrates and carbohydrates in general. So there's, I mean, there there is a breadth of knowledge and literature that would that would point to that as, as at least partially causal in this stuff. It may not be the only thing. Yeah, I spoke with Dr. Ben Bickman recently, and one of the things of many of the things you talked about that he touched upon is that just the reality is that sugar just has no nutrition. And so when you eat it, your insulin will go up and the more you're hungry, you'll eat more. And then the fact that there's no nutrition, you're going to eat more and more. And that itself will then increase your insulin. And that's where sugar is not ideal. Do you have any concerns with, you know, we eat a lot of fat on a carnivore diet, and then we eat a lot of, um, some people are using also carbohydrates for energy and there's two sources of energy. Do you think it's a concern long-term for people eating a meat-based diet, adding a lot of fructose, for example, or, you know, some other form of sugary carbohydrates? I mean, I certainly can see where there is a potential concern for that. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, and again, it depends, probably some of it depends on the dose, right? I mean, many of these things, the, the, the dose makes the poison. So yeah. you have to, you have to consider that. I mean, there's, I mean, there's animal studies looking at fructose and, and saying, you know, what is the amount of fructose you can eat before you start developing uh, things like fatty liver. And, right. you know, I think what the study that I looked at, I mean, I, I haven't looked this well, so I may be off on that, but it was like, you know, a gram per, per, uh, kilogram of body weight on, on an animal and does that translate directly to human and if you did you'd say well then it's like for an average person 75 grams or something like that so if you're getting 75 grams of sugar a day which is a decent amount you're going to have problems and i think most people at that level uh would see uh would see problems and so um i think here's the, here's the thing that i that you know there's so much you can, so many avenues you can go on this topic but yeah. one thing you know when we see like concerns around meat and some of the uh, metabolites from digestion of meat mm -hmm. um, causing gut problems, you know, colorectal cancer, you know, I talk about, and they say, well, it could be related to um, heme or, you know, it could be related to these polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, but it could be related to things like TMAO, trimethylamine oxide. Um, and what we're seeing is that may be a concern if the gut is broken, you know, if you've got a dysbiotic gut, a dysfunctional gut, uh, a hyperpermeal gut, then you see, or, or, you know, we see that in chronic kidney disease too, you know, these right. TMAO levels accumulate only in that situation. So if you're putting meat into a high sugar diet and that's causing gut issues, then you might have these downstream second effects. And so I don't know. I mean, again, if you can eat, you know, if you eat like, uh, I know some people are like, you're eating, I don't know, 100 grams, 50 grams of honey and I don't know how much fruit and, 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 and for them, that may be just a level enough that where their gut stays healthy and it's not causing problems and the meat doesn't cause a problem. But then, you know, we, we, we get to why are there so many people with broken guts that you see all the time? I know that's one of the things you, you specialize in. Okay. And so it's probably because they've been you know eating enough of whatever foods it is and, and sugar may be part of that. Uh, you know, I mean, I, you know, you get these people at Ray Pete where they're just saying, hey, drink Coca-Cola, the Mexican Coke, because it's got real sugar in it or something. You know, I mean, this stuff, which I think is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, but if you're doing that and then you start developing this gut dysbiosis and then you put meat on top of that, then you might start seeing some of these 
potentially deleterious compounds. And so I think it's, you know, it's not the meat itself. It's the environment that it's put in. You know, some people would say it's not the meat, but it's how you cook it. I have, I have disagreements with that just based on the lack of data that supports that. And the fact that we've been cooking meat over fire for 400,000 to 200, 2 million years, depending on who you read. So, so yeah, I mean, I think that the, the whole uh, issue with can, can sugar cause problems with a meat that potentially, I don't know though. I mean, you know, like I said, I think it's, it, it makes sense to, you know, I, I've always been supportive of, Hey, be objective about what you're doing. If, if you're eating some, you know, two scoops of honey every day and three bananas and you're fine. Good. I mean, that's fine. Great for you. But I mean, like to say that everybody must do that right. in order to save their thyroid or prevent gluconeogenesis or whatever kind of wacko craziness they say is so horrible. I disagree with that because I, I mean, I've just seen too many people that don't do that, that are I mean, literally thriving best they've been in their, their health and their life. So, yeah. And yeah, I appreciate it. No. And um, I just appreciate everything you're saying right now, because I'm on the same page. I think that as we heal, if we want to be flexible and try other things and not feel limited or bogged down by a diet, I think it's great if you want to introduce vegetables and fruits, if you, like you're saying, you're objective and you can handle it and your body can tolerate it. If you were always metabolically healthy, those are great things. I think the difference is when, and my heartburn over all of it was when people are saying, no, you cannot do this diet because if you do here are the risks for your health. And so this diet is adverse for your condition. And that's where it was so sad because for, I mean, I just posted this not too long ago, but most Americans, they don't have a lot of money to eat the healthiest foods. But if you are a carnivore, you can eat really cheap meats and eggs and bacons and still heal. And, and it's just a diet that if people could hear about it and hear how amazing um, and efficacious it is, then it's a way that we can wake up society that we can all heal. But when you take it away, so if someone brand new came into the space and started learning about carnivore, they would think, depending on who you're listening to, that you need to include a little bit of fruit or a little bit of carbs, because otherwise you will ru ruin your thyroid. And Ben Bickman, Dr. Ben Bickman just said that he learned um, not too long ago that uh, levothyroxine, the thyroid medication is the number two selling medication in America or maybe the world. And so if you know that, and then if someone's coming into carnivore thinking their thyroid will get ruined, they're going to leave the carbs in. And I wonder, could we have allowed them to really heal first before they start incorporating back some of those carbohydrates? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good point. And I, like I said, I, if you do three, six months of a pure strict carnivore diet and you heal, and then you want to add something in later, yeah. that makes sense. But to say that you cannot do a carnivore diet without eating this specific cut of meat or, you know, I have the other issues with organ meats and, and you have to have fruit and honey and that sort of stuff. I mean, I think it's disingenuous. I mean, you right. know, we have this Harvard study where they just published, and I think the longest person in that study was 28 years. I mean, 28 years oh. on the diet. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, they ruin their thyroid. I don't know, but I mean, I didn't see the thyroid numbers, but I mean, I suspect not. Right. And, you know, I think it's one of those things where when you overcomplicate things and you, you make them very expensive unnecessarily, um, it's a problem. But I want, you know, back to, you know, like you've mentioned, you know, can you do this and add this and that? Um, one of the things we're doing with the companies, we're using AI to solve some of those problems. And oh, so okay. when we start looking at someone with psoriasis, mm -hmm. um, they may have a different level of tolerance to foods 
than someone with say diabetes or someone with depression. Right. Uh, you know, it's you, I mean, you can throw carnivore in there as, as a baseline elimination diet, and and yes, it, it it's often very effective. But like you pointed out, some people need to do more. For some people, it's exercise. For some people, it's sleep management. For some people, it's um, you know light exposure. For some people, it's stress mitigation. For some people, it couldn't be some of these nutritional uh, you know adjuvants that you that you might put in there. And so uh, what we're trying to find out is what's different between one person, the other, based on their demographics, you know, a 52 year old premenopausal female with depression and diabetes may be very different than a 17 year old with those same conditions, you know, a 17 year old male of, you know, different, different ethnic background. There's maybe very different food things that, that are problematic. And so we will figure that stuff out. And we're already figuring a lot of that out. And that allows us to, you know, sort of give people a little more flexibility and maybe, maybe tailor things a little quicker for them. Yeah. And I think that's really smart because even in the space, you'll see trends. Um, and I mean the carnivore space. So I work with a lot of women between like thirties and sixties, and then they are a different population, especially if they have a little bit of weight to lose versus the people that are like CrossFitters that decided to do carnivore because they just wanted a cleaner diet and their needs seem to be different. So um, I, I do see that. And so that would be really smart to use AI to figure that out for people so that, you know, it's just a lot more customized as soon as they even start to eat a carnivore diet. I think that's really smart. I think you sort of answered the question as to why the name change, but I know there were some questions in this uh, community about why MeetRx turned to Rivero. I think you just kind of alluded to it, but if you can just share, you know, why the name change. Yeah, absolutely. So um, our goal is to be a full service health company. Our goal is to uh, serve hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. And when we look at nomenclature, naming companies, what's scalable, what's not, unfortunately, meat has such a negative stigma that a lot of people will just, without even thinking about it, just say, oh, this is crazy. We're not going to do it. Even if you, you know, but if you were meat, pro- meat plus blueberries, People are like, oh, that's great. I mean, but the, the, the idea of only eating meat or being a meat-based company is off-putting to, to, to a lot of people, including like investors and companies and stuff like that. And so if we look at companies like Verta Health, which, by the way, now is a $2 billion company, just, oh, wow. to, just to put that out, they, they've scaled pretty significantly. And there's no reason we, we're not going to be able to do the same thing. Uh, Livongo, Omada, Achilles, Pear, all these things that are these digital health platforms, their names are just... They don't mean anything. It's just it's something. What they are is they're not offensive. You know, when you go when when we we were I mean we went through literally hundreds of different naming options and trying to find the ones that weren't already trademarked or somebody else didn't own the rights to. Trying to find the ones that weren't offensive in other languages. You know, there's little programs you put put in a number put in a word and see if it means a swear word in another language or something or something <laughs> right. bad in another language. So you had to come through all that stuff. And and so I mean again the reason was we wanted to make it a make it. We didn't want to turn people off just on the name only. And, and, you know, it's not that we're a vegan company or a plant-based. We're certainly not. We're always going to include meat in the diet. I say, well, I mean, I mean, to be clearly, to be completely transparent, our, our AI will sort of help guide this, but I, I, I have no doubt, no doubt that it's going to end up with some form of a meat-based diet. Now, maybe, you know, for, for different people, you know, obviously with diabetics is probably going to show a low carb diet sure. improves it. Obviously for people with IB, you know, uh, autoimmune things, it's probably going to be something some along the lines of an AIP diet, you know, depending, you know, depending what's in there. And so, but we're, we're going to get real world data, you know, it's like, like somebody asked, well, why can't you just get like uh 
do food sensitivity testing like IgG studies. And we're like, well, that may show you what 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 food reaction when you when you prick your skin gives you an IgG response, but does it actually show clinically? Does it make a difference in your mental health? Does it make a difference in your your, your knee pain? And if you're not measuring that, you don't know. And so we're we're actually measuring the actual clinical outcomes and working backwards. And we're not so worried about the individual biomarkers to a degree. You know, for things like diabetes, yes, it makes sense because when you're deep prescribing, you know, medications like insulin. And that's the other thing that I think uh, we talked about the Harvard study. If you looked in there, the thing that was really exciting for me was, you know, the rate of medication uh, uh, removal on these diabetics. I mean, it was something like 92% got off insulin you know, 100% got off all other injectable medications and 84% got off all their oral medications, including metformin, which is something that people often stay on for their whole life regardless. And so um, it's very powerful. It's a very powerful uh, treatment uh, that, that we see. And, and, you know, like you said, yes, a a very active person is going to have a different dietary tolerance and, and uh, dietary composition than someone who's kind of sedentary, like, a, you know, a sedentary, you know, you know, 55-year-old it's going to have different needs than a 22 year old athlete for sure. Yeah. So, you know, as we're coming to a close, um, what are some of the tips for, you know, just brand new carnivores that are trying to do world carnivore month? What would be some, you know, like for the last five years you've been doing carnivore, what are some tips to just get started and be successful for a full month of being carnivore? Um, so I think, you know, relax, have fun, enjoy it, make the food fun. You know, you, you know, I think variety is fun. You know, it's key. I mean, like I said, you know, if you don't have, if you're just going to do it for a month and leave, okay, that's fine. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, if you're coming to this and you're like, Hey, I want to, I want to get rid of my hypothyroidism or I want to get rid of my, you know, Crohn's disease, that's a different, that's a different sort of outlook. And you're probably going to want to be on it longer anyway. But I think for most people transitioning in, you know, include a variety of different meats that you like, you know, eggs, you know, dairy is one of those things where a lot of people don't do well with it. But, you know, if, if in the beginning, you know, like if I told everybody, Hey, welcome to carnivore month, you get dry ground beef and nothing else for the rest of the month. And that's all you're going to eat every day, three meals a day. No one, literally right. no one would want to do that. I wouldn't want to do that. So if you can say, Hey, you're gonna have some ground beef, throw a little seasoning in there, throw a little bit of shredded cheese on there, have a ball, eat it up get through the month, um, eat enough. Don't, don't starve yourself. Don't, you know, I mean, okay. So if, even if you have a lot of weight to lose and and many people do, and many people come to this for that, I think that the first thing you need to do is to sort of change your whole rationale for eating your relationship with food. And so if you go into the diet and you say, well, I got to lose weight. So I'm going to eat, you know, 1200 calories or 1600 calories. And I'm going to really restrict everything and, and fast all day long you're just going to fail. You're just going to be miserable. You're going to be hungry. You're going to have cravings. You're going to last about three or four days. And then you're going to be chowing down pizzas and ice cream. I mean, that, that's just the way it is. So I think in the beginning, just eat your fill. You know, I mean, it's, it's basic. We've all heard advice. Eat till you're full. Eat again when you're, you know, don't eat when you're not full. Eat enough till you feel full and then eat, eat whatever you, you know, when you need to. I think including enough fat in the diet, obviously, if you're trying to do it on chicken breast and lean sirloin steaks, you're going to have, you're going to struggle. So get enough fat in there. Can you overeat fat? Yes, you can. Uh, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't worry about that in the beginning. I mean, right. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't sit there and, and just eat, eat gobs of butter and, and drink down pints of heavy cream. That's not a good solution either. I mean, you know, it's just eat some meat. If it's got some fat on it, great. Eat the fat with it. If you, well, you know, a lot of people just, they, they can't eat the fat on meat for whatever reason. They're always cutting it off because out of habit. And I think that's something you have to get 
kind of get away from, you know, all these for this, because if you're not having carbohydrates, you got to get energy from somewhere. And you know, so you're going to need to eat a little more fat than maybe perhaps you're used to. And the other thing is um, some people will find, you know, we'll see some GI upset. And so some people might need to parse that fat out into smaller doses across the day. And so you might break it up into more meals rather than less meals. Cause so many people gravitate to one meal a day, two meals a day, the relatively large meals. And sometimes you can have a large bolus of fat in there and that can lead to, you know, fat malabsorption. Cause you're just not, you're just not able to, you just don't have the capacity to handle hundred grams of fat in one sitting or whatever it turns out to be. That, that, that capacity changes over time, by the way, but in the beginning, you may overwhelm yourself. You know, as humans, we want to, we get really excited about a new diet or a new way of change. And that's why New Year's always has, as part of the resolutions, like everyone wants to lose weight or get on a new diet. And part of the problem is then we want to go all in, right? So our mind is working way faster than maybe we are realistically able to do. And so I see people start doing OMAD and intermittent fasting, and they're just going to eat the cleanest meats and, and then they're going to start exercising. And so then they're really over their heads. And so then it becomes really hard to do carnivore when if you just were to eat the meats you enjoy, not worry too much about macros and how many calories you're eating, but just eat to satiety and then change things as you go um, just to get assimilated. I think that's such a powerful tool because I mean, for everything I see, the biggest success marker is consistency. And it sounds like the what you're talking about is really what will allow people to be consistent. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing like people trying to give up coffee. They're trying, they're trying to do too many things at once. And I think just, just get used to used to not having the starch on your plate or the vegetables on your plate. That, that That's, you know, for you guys have never done that. That's that 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 alone is just a just a, uh, you know, a, a new paradigm for a lot of people. And so when you put too much pressure on there, because, you know, you'll see, I mean, there's so many success or we, we've got countless people that have lost 50, 80, 100 pounds. I mean, those people are all over the place. And so somebody will come in there and think, well, I got to do that, too. And I think, you know, I think the first step, again, is change your relationship with the food, right. enjoy what you're doing. I mean, the, the two, I think the two consistent things for failure are you're hungry all the time or you don't like the food. Right. And if the, if the diet makes you hungry and you don't like the food, you are not going to stick with it. Not for very long. You might do it for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. But if you don't like what you're eating, you know, you, you need to find a different diet. Right. No, no, no. That's really good. Um. So how does Rivero work? So do people just join in at any time? Is it like at the very beginning of the month? What is Rivero? And if people have never heard of it, if you can just share, you know, where people can join and where can people find you? Right. Okay. So Rivero, so you can go to Rivero.com. It's R-E-V-E-R-O, kind of like reverse Rivero. Um, and so what it is, you know, I mean, it is, you know, a resource center. First of all, we have, you know, videos, educational material. We've got thousands of research. So if you're looking for research to back up what you're doing to show to your doctor, your friends about health and the environment and all that stuff, that's all on there. We've got recipes, we've got uh, discounts and deals on all kinds of carnival related stuff we have direct links to ranchers with discounts we have a, a large list of local ranchers we have physicians that are carnival friendly listed on our site that you can go see um we have um uh and then we have you know coaching you know coaching is available we have very very inexpensive coaching for people new members get a free coaching session just to start with you can join up for free for a month you don't have to you know, you can do it for a month and you don't like it, you can leave. And then we have, you know, the meetings. And so we have meetings throughout the day. All, all, most of the day is covered. I mean, seven days a week, there's usually, there's always a meeting going on every day. And usually there's five, six, seven, eight meetings a day. So you can always kind of find 
people that you want to talk to, you know, I have a meeting every morning at 9 a.m. Pacific time, and I usually have anywhere from 40 to 100 people in the meeting, and we just chat and something like, but often I'm just in there, I might go over study, I might just open it up for open discussion, people ask me questions directly, uh, and so we do that, and it's, it's real supportive, and one of the things I've found uh, is despite the fact you can give people knowledge, you can, you can have a perfect plan for them, um, if, they, if they don't feel supported, or don't have yeah. some avenue to get some support from or some accountability it's much harder for them you know and the data shows that i mean the data we have if you don't have support your likelihood of success goes down significantly so you know if you don't have a supportive spouse you don't have a supportive boss or you don't have a supportive doctor or friends the odds of you succeeding are much lower than if you do and you know and, and with carnivore i mean even though we're growing it's still not that common for somebody to say, yeah, go carnivore. I mean, most of the time they look at you like you've got a third eyeball right. or, you know, they're telling you, oh, wait for your heart attack or you're going to get cancer or, you know, you know, the, the, the stuff we all hear, which is, you know, by the way, nonsense. But, uh, but yeah, that's what we do at Rivero. Uh, so Rivero.com, um, my sort of social media stuff, uh, I'm on Instagram at Sean, S-H-A-W-N, Baker, B-A-K-E-R, 1967. I've got a YouTube channel, which I'm currently suspended for another 10 days. Oh, you're suspended? Suspend. Yeah, it's the third time I've been suspended in, in, uh, in, in the last three or four months. So it's kind of kind of it's sad. It's the, the censorship shop. The stuff has gotten yeah. out of hand. It's unfortunate. And then I'm on Twitter. I got my Twitter account back, which I was I was permanently banned from Twitter. And then they changed their mind oh. uh, back on Twitter. So uh, S Baker MD. So anyway, those are the places you can find me. Uh, typically, I don't really hang out on Facebook that much. I never really got into it, even though, you know, the World Carnivore Tribe, I, you know, it's my, my site. I started that, yeah. but I'm, I'm rarely there just because I just don't like, I just don't like the Facebook uh, interaction for some reason. I'm not sure why, but I just never, never, never gelled with me. One thing I want to say about Rivero is, you know, I've been part of, um, obviously I've done interviews with you, but I've also uh, been part of a few of the community groups and they're really powerful. Like you have one for mental health, you have one for eating disorders, and there's a lot of support if people take the initiative. And so whenever someone new comes to Carnivore, I always say to actually go to Rivero and other groups for that community support to just get the basics and even work with some of your coaches, because I think that's where people should start at least for the support. And then if things aren't working later, maybe they really have deeper gut issues, then they can maybe come to me or other like, you know, doctors or practitioners, but that's a place where there's a lot of care. And for all of the groups that I've been in, um, yeah, there's a lot of power with just people sharing their stories and their frustrations and just feeling that you're very normal and you have that support on a daily basis. And I think that's such a powerful thing that you guys offer. So yeah, I wanted to commend you and um, some of the people I've just talked to in your uh, community, uh, they're, they're great. So it's just, um, I always recommend you guys when someone is starting carnivore. Yeah. And just, you know, just to reiterate our, you know, the plans, I mean, we will be a full service health company and you'll see, you'll have Dr. Rivero doctors that are there oh, that okay. support people on all based diet. So you'll have a doctor that you can actually, you know, have as your doctor. And so that's going to be it among that's other awesome. things. We'll have a whole bunch of other things. Right so so anyway well thank you so much judy it's been a pleasure it's great talking to you and i guess i'll see you again uh you know in about a month so it'll be great so thank you thanks for joining me today thanks judy appreciate it i hope you guys enjoyed the interview dr sean baker is just very honest and open there's a lot of healing that needs to be done in our communities and i'm grateful for people like dr sean baker that has the resources that shares his time and that advocates for this way of eating 
so that more people can get to this diet. When I first heard of the name change, I was a little confused. And then I know other people were, but it makes sense as he is trying to get more people to adopt. And sometimes you just got to get people in, in any which way you can. And as people heal, they may just eliminate down to a meat only diet anyway. Over time, it's really just getting people to try meat based and seeing how much healing they can have. So I think it's exciting times for carnivore. There's a lot of things going on, but it's just exciting because we can really heal people with such basic foods and we may not need medicine. I hope that this conversation gives you strength and encouragement during World Carnivore Month. Make sure to eat a lot of meat. Take care of your bodies because it is the only place you have to live. I will talk to you guys later. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com slash groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com slash articles. You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and the Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.